Appreciate Ron reading to us in Proverbs chapter 6. As you turn back there, you might recognize this passage. I, in a series of messages last year, we went through the my son uh, statements in Proverbs. But I want to bring it to you in a little different way today relating to mothers. So uh, that's why in uh, chapter 6 and uh, verse 20, my son, keep thy father's commandment. But forsake not the law of thy mother. Fathers have commandments and mothers have laws. (laughs) And you do well to keep both of them. I remember uh, my dad had a famous saying, and one time I found the perfect birthday card for him. uh, You know, on his birthday, on the outside of the card it said, Dad, I will always remember your immortal words. And you open it up and said, don't tell your mother. (laughs) moms have a law and you do well to remember the law you know what we can draw from those statements too is that in a way God expects the words of fathers and mothers to be scriptural if not equal to the law and the commandments at least uh, right with the law and commandments so that when you hear the words of your father when you hear the words of your mother you are hearing what God wants you to hear because those words and those commandments are formed uh, by the word of God through them to you. And that also puts a pressure on us as fathers and mothers or grandfathers and grandmothers to shape our words according to the word of God. Remember how Paul said it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast heard them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And where did Timothy hear those words? Well, in 2 Timothy 1, when I call to remembrance the unhypocritical faith that that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. I've always liked that passage, and at my ordination service, Dr. Haru, who's now with the Lord, preached from this, because my grandmother's name was Lois, my mother's name is Bernice, it's almost Eunice. And he says, I, I hope that in you also, and Paul knew that in Timothy, these same words dwelt. So scripture to the family, to the home, scripture becomes the operational manual. This is where we go when we say, how are we supposed to do it? These are the directions that we follow. You know, dads, how we've got ourselves in trouble trying to put things together without following the directions, right? Uh, we can do that in our, in our homes, too. So, so the scripture is the lowest common denominator, you might say. It's the non-negotiable. When everything else fails, moms and dads can go back to the scripture and say, what does God say? What do we understand this book to teach us? That's what we will say to our children. That's what we will do in our home. This is the pattern that we will follow. And so these things happen. For example, prayers at meals. Was that optional in your house? It wasn't in my house. In 1 Timothy 4, every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. 
you know, this last week, as you know, we were up in uh, first in Des Moines and then over in Chicago to see Matthew graduate. And so we came in and Matt and Tara came down with with their three kids, Gabriel and Isaiah and, and Eva. And then Tara's parents from uh, Colorado flew out also. We've known them for years and have a very good relationship. And I was thinking just, I guess it was yesterday morning, we all got up in the hotel and uh, both mornings that we were there, we ate breakfast in the hotel. And that'll get you to pray if you, you know, but there we are in that breakfast room and it's crowded. It was graduation time in this hotel. It's a La Quinta, but it's right next to the campus. So everybody's staying there, very crowded. And so we pulled you know, three little tables together where, uh, what is it, the nine of us, the ten of us could sit around the table. And I thought to myself, here are all these people, they're watching, and uh, so how good was it for little Gabriel, eight years old, Isaiah, five years old, and Eva, two years old, as to see both of their parents and these two grandparents and these two grandparents bow their head at a table with everyone else in the room watching and watch mom and dads and grandmas and grandpas pray before this lousy breakfast that we're about to eat. And she had, she, she had a half a bowl of Fruit Loops and a glass of water. <laughs> that was it, you know. But it's not optional. This is the law of father and mother. And kids that grow up under those kinds of laws will do well. We had no, my kids had no choice about church attendance. Uh, I was a pastor of a church and they came and they sat where they sat and they came for Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and any other thing that we had to go to. And, uh, and you know what? It was good for them. That's not a hardship on pastor's kids and on your kids when you bring them to church all the time. They may not like it. I'm not saying they like it all the time, but that is good for them. And how about modesty? When mom says to daughter, no, you're not wearing that today. It's the law of the mother. It's the law of the household. Remember these words in 1 Corinthians 12 where, where Paul says in the New King James, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we present greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. God just made us that some parts are presentable and some are not. And so there ought to be a law of a mother, and there usually is, or a law of a father about modesty in the home. All of these things go back to the scripture to say this is the way God wants us to live. I read a quote from J. Sidlow Baxter, that, that uh, Scottish pastor, who said, Not long ago, according to a radio newscast, a foreign diplomat visiting America remarked that one of the things which impressed him about the average American home was the great obedience in it, dash, the obedience of parents to children, uh, the... Uh, the, excuse me, the obedience to, of parents to children, not children to parents. That's the thing that amazed him the most. That in our day and age, the parents are waiting around to see what the children demand of them. Spurgeon once said, when fathers are tongue-tied religiously with their offspring, 
need they wonder that their children's hearts remain sin-tied. So we have those laws. You know, I, I think I told you once that, uh, you know, the Bible in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, uh, you may, you may uh, be angry with your brother. You may say reka to your brother, but you better not say fool because it, the one that says fool to his brother is in danger of hellfire. My mother pointed that out to me when I was young, and to this day I can't bring myself to use the word fool towards somebody. Even when, even when I'm preaching and the Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God, that still rakes on me. I have a heart, I better be careful calling somebody a fool. Because my mother pointed out that this is what the scripture says. Well, I want to show you three things. You have these in your, in your uh, bulletin if you, if you want to follow just three words, really. In verse 21 of our text, mother's law is what I call adornment. It is things that you put on. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. I remember that Peter said to the wives and mothers in his own congregation, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair or of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That meek and quiet spirit, that's what mom teaches us to put on. Notice about this, bind them about thy neck. The word literally is throat. I mean, put it around your throat. Don't let anything go in and out of your throat but what mom approves. <laughs> that law of your mother, bind it around your throat. I remember uh, Ann's uh, grandma, I guess it was, down in Argentina had, had geese, and she'd fatten them up. And she would stuff things down in their throat, and then she'd tie a string around their throat so they couldn't, couldn't come back up. <laughs> Bind it about your net. Make sure mom's laws never leave you. And then the heart, you know, in, in Israel, they, they literally tied verses. It says, tie them, uh, 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 bind them about thy, thine heart. They would literally bind their verses to their body in what was called phylacteries, little boxes of verses in them, so that you never forgot them. Remember, keep thy heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4 says, out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth. Perverse lips put far from thee, let thine eyes look right on, thine eyelids straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, let all thy ways be established. Put these things on you and let them be part of you. I have an old history book written uh, quite a number of years ago. And this author, Leonard Verduin, was, was describing when... Our forefathers, the, the uh, Anabaptists, if you remember that name, in the 1500s were being persecuted to death for what they believed. And they were bringing people in to investigate them so they could punish them. And he writes this. He says, when certain people were being investigated for suspected Anabaptist leanings, this testimony was offered, quote, because their children are being so carefully and devoutly reared, and because they do not have the practice of cursing and swearing, therefore they are suspected of being Anabaptists. 
Wouldn't you like to have that said of your kids? Suspected of being Christians. Let me tell you, folks, Christians are being suspected of the very things because of their righteousness today. Because they don't do the things that the world demands of them to do. Oh, they must be Christians. It's an honor. Our forefathers have worn that badge, too. So a mother's law is intended to rescue children, right? A, a wife and, and, and a, uh, a mother is supposed to know how to uh, keep herself and teach her uh, convictions to children. My mother, my mother had a, a bunch of uh, uh, put off this and put on this laws, you know, adornment laws, if you will. One of them was when you come into this house, you put off that hat. Now, you know, maybe it's maybe it's an English custom. I don't know. But in my house, that was the law of the mother. And the other one was when you're in this house, put on your shirt. So, you, you know, there's just some things you take off and some things you put on. But one thing you take off, too, is you never ask mom why. <laughs> you know, when mom says do this, you don't say why. Because you may find out why <laughs> real quick. But what you put on is yes, ma'am. <laughs> And yes, sir. So you put some things off, you put other things on. One thing that you put off is you don't sleep in past a certain hour. You can sleep, but you get up. And the other thing that you put on is you make your bed. So you don't sleep in and you make your bed. You know, I, I, heard, I heard, I think it was a military general say, you want to be successful in your life, here's how to do it. Make your bed every morning. <laughs> If you start off your day doing something right and something that puts things back together, you will make that a pattern for your life. And mom always said, you don't leave your room without making that bed. You just put some things on, put other things off. Questionable language, it did not come out of our mouth. But good manners were always put in please and thank yous and the rest. And I, mom had a certain logic about her and I call it the willow switch logic. Because <laughs> I don't know if the back of your legs have ever felt a willow switch, but mine have. Now, you know, the Bible says, he that spareth the rod spoil, spoileth the child. And I, I grieve over the child abuse that takes place today. And so obviously Christians are not for child abuse. Uh, I, I think this week we were reading an article about a father who was playing a, a video game with his daughter and got so upset that he lost it, he backhanded her daughter and his daughter's in critical condition in the hospital. Of course, that is not what we mean when we say that we, we must discipline sometimes our children. But the Bible instructs us to have a law with them and to make sure that it's carried out. So there's the, the mother's law is biblical law, and we're supposed to follow it. Secondly, the mother's law is accompaniment. So verse 22 says, When thou goest, it shall lead thee. And when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. So moms keep you going in the right direction and keep you going from the wrong direction. In chapter 1 and, and verse 10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. That's what mom and dad say. Don't let the sinners entice thee. So when you go, you know, when you go, you need reminders. When you go somewhere, isn't it good to have mom's 
words in your head. And if mom's words are God's words, then those go with you and keep you as you go. When you're sleeping, you need comfort. You need to be able to go to bed and sleep. You need to know things have been right. You need to know that you've done right today. And mom's law will help you sleep. And when you wake, you need direction. You need to wake up and say, this is what I should do. Make my bed first <laughs> and then go and do what I'm supposed to do today. Somebody said it this way, God couldn't be everywhere, so he invented mothers. And mothers could perform the work of several traffic controllers with ease. And I think that's true of a lot of mothers, isn't it? You know, consistent examples are good for us. Uh, Billy Sunday, uh, whether you like him or not, he was preaching once on Moses and, and how the, the baby Moses was put in the, bull, uh, in the little ark, you know, and floated down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter uh, took him out of the water, remember? Because it, they heard the baby crying. So he said in a sermon one time, the tears of that baby were the jewels with which Israel was ransomed from Egyptian bondage. The princess had a woman's heart, and when a woman's heart and a baby's tears meet, something happens that gives the devil cold feet. <laughs> and that mother heard that baby's cries and gave direction. You remember Susanna Wesley, you remember the name anyway, because you know John and Charles Wesley, John the preacher and Charles the, the songwriter. Susanna Wesley, we see her, her uh, grave when we uh, go uh, to England, which we will this October. Susanna Wesley is often said to be the mother of Methodism, uh, though John is the father, perhaps. She was the mother. She was the youngest of 25 children. She probably didn't have to do anything around the house, what I suppose, you know, the, or had to do everything. I don't know which. The youngest of 25 children, and Susanna Wesley had 19 children of her own. Sadly, she outlived 10 of them because children often died at early ages in, in those days, and including, of course, uh, John and Charles. And out of all of that, uh, the Wesleys changed England and America and have preached the gospel to the world. There's a story of, of C.I. Schofield, and some of you are holding a Bible right, name, right now with his name on it, the Schofield Reference Bible. When he was born, his mother died at his childbirth. And uh, yet before she died, she said uh, to her husband, my prayer is that this boy will know Jesus Christ as a Savior and be called of God to preach the gospel around the world. His father never told him that, never revealed his mother's prayer until uh, the day, not that he got saved, but the day that he surrendered to preach the gospel, his father said, let me tell you what your mother prayed when she passed away. That uh, that is what she wanted, what she wanted God for you to do. You know, I have to, I have to laugh about uh, the woman I married and the mother of my children. She had a unique upbringing too. Her parents were uh, Ukrainian uh, and Russian, 
And yet she was born in Argentina where they fled before World War II and they met there and got married. And then her father was an evangelist in South America and came to the States when she was five and Sam was a little boy then. And when he would, they had to, they had to go to country to country on bicycles. They didn't have a car or vehicles. And so when, when he would preach, their custom was that they put a blanket down in front of the pulpit on the ground where he was preaching, and Anne had to be on that blanket, and if she ever got off that blanket, she was going to get it after the service. So that's how she was, that was the law of mother uh, in those days. Here's the blanket, you stay on it until dad is done preaching. And uh, I don't know how often she did that. Uh, Mom never would admit it to me, but enough. So, you know, when I... When I was a pastor, then started out, and our kids were very little, uh, Anne always sat in the second row, about the second chair from the left side. There's where she is right now, right? <laughs> On her blanket. <laughs> I remember one time in, in Fort Collins, I was preaching, and, and uh, evidently someone had come in and sat in her row. And so she was over here somewhere. And I'm preaching along, and all of a sudden it just struck me that she's not there. And I stopped and said, honey, what are you doing over there? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I've got to have my reflection here, you know, to know whether I'm doing right or not. But anyway, so when our kids were little, she had to, she, they had to sit right here in the second row with her. And uh, the, when they would act up and wouldn't obey, she had the safety pin with her, a large safety pin. Not that she would stick them with it, but she put the safety pin on, her on the kid's clothes, which meant when we get home <laughs> and I take, dad takes the safety pin off, you're getting it. So they knew what the safety pin meant. But, you know, uh, after our kids grew up, the law of mom was that you don't have to sit with me any longer in church. You can sit with your friends, but you have to sit where I am in church or in front of me. You can't sit behind me. She sits in the second row. <laughs> so, so our kids always sat right over there in the second row on that section. And it was good because then again, most of the teenagers sat with them in our church right over there because, because Rebecca and Michael had to sit <laughs> Uh, almost that front. And I tell you what, I'll, I would be willing to, I don't bet, but I would be willing to say that right now our kids are in church on Sunday morning because of those rules and the law of their mother all of those years. And so are your kids too. So law's mother, our mother's law is an accompaniment. It goes with us through our lives and it's God's word and it should. One more uh, thing in uh, verse 23, a mother's law is enlightenment. So here, verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs are, of instruction are the way of life. So you might look at that as a, a lamp is a source, and a light is a substance. You know, a lamp is like a bulb, and that generates light, and then the light rays that come off of it. Uh, or the substance or the application of the source. Maybe you could look at it as, in a, a lot of ways, uh, a father is the head of the home. A father ought to be what God wants him to be. 
and a father uh, has certain commands and he's the lamp. And a father ought to lead and say, this is what God would have this family to do and be. But mom is kind of the light. Mom is the application of the source. And so uh, the, the wife needs the support from the husband because she has to be the uh, umpire many times. She has to be the one who, who gives the law. You know, uh, if, in, if in the uh, ball game this afternoon, uh, you know, a, a man takes off from first and, and runs to second, and the umpire says, you didn't make it, you're out. And he says, no, I want to stay here. What appeal does the umpire have? The appeal is the rule says <laughs> that you have to get off the field. And so the umpire applies the rules of the household. And so there, there, there is a lamp. There are commandments about our homes. This is what God says. And this is as a father and also as a mother, we agree what it will be. And when that doesn't work out in your life, this is what must be done. And that's what uh, uh, Solomon is saying here. The commandment is a lamp and law is a light. And we need to do that. Reproofs of instruction. Uh, who but mom could do that? Somebody said an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. <laughs> I always like that one. So an ounce of mother worth a pound of clergy. Uh, or of cler clergy. Virtues are learned at a mother's knee, and vices at some other joint. <laughs> Virtues are learned at mother's knee. And so let me tell you this too, that I have noticed, at least through my years, that there are a lot of mother's attitudes that can work against you. When mothers, or fathers for that matter, think that they are doing the right thing, uh, but it's not a light that comes from the right commandment. Sometimes parents want to be want to have friendship over reproof sometimes it's so important evidently for mothers to be a friend to the daughters or a father to be a friend to the son that that outweighs reproof that needs to come and instruction that needs to come at the right time that is a a, a formula for disaster though you can be a friend with your child you are first and foremost their commandment you you are god in the flesh for them you need to lead them the way God would say to go. And when you're out of line, they need reproof, not just friendship. Competing for attractiveness. It's, it's kind of sorry sometimes to see a mother wanting to make their daughters so attractive to the world or to boys or whatever that they forget uh, the modesty and the deportment that God would have for that daughter and what is important for that mother to put into that daughter. And, and I have seen that happen over and over again. Or at the same time with, with fathers, maybe, you know, fathers live out their sports dreams in their sons. And I want my son to be all that I couldn't be. Or I want my son to be this and great and this and great and that instead of uh, being what God wants him to be. I, I don't have to, I, I think I've told this story before, but your kids will, your kids will love that. And they will do the right thing. Our, our son, Matthew, who now graduated with his Ph.D. in theology, uh, was, a, was a good little uh, uh, athlete in anything he did. 
He was good in baseball. He was a pitcher. He was good in basketball, a high scorer. Uh, he, he played golf with the adults. I mean, he was just a, a natural athlete. But uh, he signed up for Little League, and he did well. First time he went in as a pitcher, uh, he didn't know what to do. Uh, and he looked at me, and I said, just look at the catcher and throw it as hard as you can. He threw three balls and three strikes, and the guy was out. But, on, but they played Little League games on Wednesday night. And we went to church on Wednesday night. And we had to be there at 7 o'clock. And so we were at the ball field, and it started at 5, 5.30, whenever the game started. But I went to the coach, and I said, Coach, uh, we have to be at church at 7 o'clock. I have to take Matthew, and we'll be gone at a quarter till 7. So if you want to play him, play him early, because he has to go at quarter till 7. And you know what? Coach was fine with that. Matthew was fine with that. We left every day and went to church, and everything worked out fine because he knew what was expected of him. And that was better for him than to say, oh, I want you to be the greatest pitcher uh, in the Little League Baseball so church can take second place to that. I've seen that mistake too many times. Protectiveness over judgment. What? That school is going to punish you? Well, I'll march right down there to the principal's office and I'll let him know uh, who's in charge here. And you go rescue your kids from the punishment that they actually deserve and should get. That's not good for them because then they will want to be rescued the rest of, of uh, their life. And don't seek their approval over church or over, I should say, truth. Don't seek their approval and say, well, as long as you approve, we'll do this. I've seen parents held hostage by what the kids want out of church. And if you don't, if you don't do it the way I want and go where I want and be what I want, I'm going to make your life miserable until you do. I've seen parents held hostage by that. So common mistakes, all of those are backwards. All of those would work out fine if you just put the right thing first. You know, uh, a man named Richard Clearwaters was born in 1900 and lived 90-some years, but he was the president of the seminary that I went to where I met Anne and where Matthew teaches now, and, and uh, Richard Clearwaters wrote a, a biography, and uh, he uh, told about the, uh, the years that he was kind of away from the Lord. This would have been back in the early part of the 20th century, of course, but as a teenager and young adult, he left home and he went far away. By the way, he said in that book, and I thought this was good, he said, my mother said she wouldn't take a million dollars for one of her children, but she wouldn't give a nickel for another one. <laughs> but he was off, he was off uh, kind of sowing wild oats, so to speak. His mother always wrote him letters, and the last line of the letter was Proverbs 13, 15, by the way, and the last part of that verse, which says, the way of the transgressor is hard you know that the way of the transgressor is hard. And he said, to this day, I remember that. And I came back to the Lord and served him. And he was a successful pastor, preacher, uh, college president, and seminary president until he died. So this is the law of the mother, if it's the law of God, and if it's the law of the scripture. Praise the Lord for mothers. Praise the Lord who try. And, and moms, that doesn't mean that there's a secret formula that if you do A, B, C, and D, and so forth, your son will be uh, the greatest preacher America ever heard. There's no secret formula for that because children are 
independent entities before God. Children are made in the image and likeness of God. They will make their own decision. But if you put into them the information they need until that time in their life, then you'll be surprised at the good decisions that they make. And so work at it. And grandmas and grandpas, now that your children are gone, pray for those little ones. I believe in prayer more than I've ever believed in my life. And I hope I practice it more than I've ever practiced it in my life. Because I realize that now I can't do things long distance that I, ought to, that, that I used to be able to do right there under my feet. But why should I fret when God can do anything? And that I can ask God to do things. And who's praying for your kids and who's praying for your grandkids if you're not? And so pray for them and ask for God's direction and protection and ask your kids to have the wisdom that God wants them to have to train their children. And you'll see that followed up in life. I love what, how God, or John, I mean, wrote to that elect lady, remember in 2 John? The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. And then he said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. This is what we receive from God. Let's pass it on to our children. Pray for them and help them, love them always, and guide them in God's truth. Stand now with me if you will. As we stand, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, thanking God for what He's given us in our lives, and then we'll sing a song and ask Him to bless it. Father, now, Thank you for these words again, this reminder that, that our fathers have a law that is biblical and we should follow, and our mothers have a commandment and a law that we should follow. And Father, I, I thank you for mothers. Some of them are in heaven now and long gone that still have an influence in our lives. Thank you, Father, for those that stand here today and sons with mothers, and daughters with mothers. And thank you for that. And Father, I pray for wisdom in this world in which we live. We are reminded today and daily uh, how dangerous it is for kids and grandkids to grow up in this world. And the dangers that are out there, Satan would desire to have them that he may sift them as wheat. And so Father, give us wisdom, bless our mothers, and Father, may we learn those laws and those commandments and follow them. And may you be glorified by these. Speak to our hearts now as we sing this song, as we think about these things. Move us, change us in the ways that we need. Humble our hearts before you. May we confess our sins before you. And may we ask you always for wisdom and guidance. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.